Hello, climbers. Welcome back to the Climbing Business Journal podcast. John Bergman here. I'm the host for this one. And today I am talking to Mathieu Ackerman, who is one of the shapers at Flathold, the other creative mastermind there being Manu Hassler, whose name you will hear mentioned in this episode as well. But back to Mathieu, he is a fascinating subject because his shaping at Flathold combines a love for outdoor climbing with some formal art training and education and all with an open embrace of what Mathieu calls the new school style of climbing and shaping. And speaking of that new school style, if you watched the most recent world championships, you saw the unveiling of some clear, no texture holds from Flathold. They made huge waves in the comp climbing world. So Mathieu and I talk all about the creation of those clear no text holds. And we talk about how Flathold wasn't even sure if the IFSC would allow those holds to be used at the World Championships. And there's a cool little story there. So let me roll a couple of ads and then we'll jump right into my conversation with Mathieu Ackerman at Flathold. CBJ and this podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. Approach is the modern choice in climbing gym management software. Using agile methods, they are constantly adding new features to empower staff and keep customers happy. With powerful analytics and seamless website integration, Approach is the software of choice for over 130 gyms and counting. Learn more at approach.app. True Blue is the only auto belay with magnetic braking. They're proud to be the official auto belay of USA Climbing, and True Blues can be found on climbing walls across the world. Their one-of-a-kind no-delay-belay program will automatically ship you a ready-to-hang True Blue before your current one is due for service. Learn more at headrushtech.com. Mathieu Ackerman, thank you so much for hanging out on the Climbing Business Journal podcast across borders, across oceans, the United States meeting France, France meeting the United States. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, too. I was reading on the Flathold website when I was preparing for this conversation, and your biography on there, it says that you were, before joining Flathold, you were a student at an art school. And you were working on developing a procedure where you could mold natural objects like rocks and trees. And I read that and it sounded so interesting. So before we even get into the hold shaping and the work at Flathold, can you tell me about that procedure, that idea that you had in in school? Yeah, sure. Um, oh, it's it's a long time ago but uh yes i was student in a art school and uh this is before i met my business partner manu hasler who already was uh making holes making shape and uh i didn't really um try to to copy nature or stuff like that and, and maybe our text is is also pretty old you know <laughs> on the on the flatled website but um uh, yeah, I was just starting climbing and I was just uh, also learning how to mold in, in art school and doing some object. And uh, 
and I, I made some tests with uh, with clay and different stuff. And uh, the the idea was probably just uh, like uh, I don't know if you know the the brand called Mimic. It's probably a U.S. brand, and it was not the time when you had the the this uh, 3D scanner to to scan a natural hold. And I was like just uh, teaching uh, and learning climbing as well as art school. And I thought, oh, it would be cool to, you know, to be inspired by nature and to to take the basic of nature and, and find a way to to duplicate nature in real holds. And uh, then I, I met my business partner, Manu, just uh, by reading a, a small art article in a in the city journal, so really something small. And um, and I contacted him uh, through a friend who has his number and the money was already making shape. And finally this idea of copying nature was was forgotten or yeah we just still are inspired by nature nature but we we didn't really do this first basic idea to reproduce nature like like those mimic for example now yeah where is now that you are at flathold and you're part of a team there where do you draw your main inspiration from if it's not if it's not predominantly nature where do those ideas come from Mm. Um, I guess we are two shapers now, uh, me and again, my business partner, Manu, and probably it's different for both of us. Um, I will speak a bit for from Manu's perspective, even if he, I'm, I'm not in his head, but I, I know he's, he's, a, he's a strong uh, uh, how do you say that inspiration for me and um, he's an international researcher so i know that most of his inspiration and ideas comes from mostly the the tool side of what you need for as a setter what you what would be cool to have and um, and it drove i guess all his shaper career and so on my side i'm i'm a setter too but just a national Swiss setter, uh, so not so much experiment, experimented than money. And I guess I'm a bit more inspired by still by nature forms like uh, like trees, like plants, like uh, um, and in the past, I guess we we used a lot of these organic shapes, and I guess we continue to to have. A mix of organic shapes, but uh, also focus on manual ideas and on on the functionality of a whole. So I think it's a good mix between Manu and I, Manu the setter, and and me the yeah maybe trying to bring something different or more like natural organic stuff, and uh, and it it works well together. That is exactly what I wanted to ask you in this conversation. One of the things I wanted to know was, since you do have an artistic background, formal training in art, like art school, right, education in art, do you approach hold shaping from the idea of route being a route setter, which you said you've done some setting, or do you approach it more of as an artist? 
No, I think, um, yeah, you know, artist is a big word and <laughs> I guess we are all artists in a way. And uh, I never consider mus- myself as an artist because I just made a bachelor or in fine art, but uh, then I had to walk, so I didn't continue like a real career. I just think this uh, experiences in art school brought me, yeah, some knowledge for for shaping, for example, because I touch different materials, I draw a bit, and uh, and maybe also try to use it in in the graphic design or or stuff like that, more in in the visual identity of Flathol than as an artist uh, like a shaper i i think you don't need to make a an art school or or a shaping school to to be a, a good shaper i think the the first step is to understand what is a climbing horse and it has a functionality so it's maybe more uh, let's say like a, a designer who who could understand but but it's interesting because it's a big mix between being a root setter or a climber understand what is a climbing halt what do you need for creating movement and uh and a mix with uh bringing some artistic side uh that you can take inspiration from different perspective different uh yeah different origin and uh and do it well or do it your way and i think all the shaper has in own all own style so it can comes from really different ideas and and maybe mine comes from my background for sure but uh, it's not necessary <laughs> that you need to be an artist to to be a shaper is the goal when you shape something is the goal always the same? The, the goal is, okay, we want to create a shape that is new or is different. Or is the goal dependent on and maybe different depending on whatever shape you are working on? Uh, it's, you know, it's pretty difficult to to do something new and something different uh, now because there there is many, many competing brands there is many holes that have been already done and uh, i mean at the end a crimp is a crimp a pinch is a pinch and a sloper is a sloper so when you we start uh, thinking a range of holes we we still think basic about this basic vocabulary which is pinches uh, crimps uh, sloper etc so yeah, I, I think the, the uh, then the idea of making something new or something different is always what we want as as a shaper. But uh, I think we are all inspired with other brands or with other stuff that we see. So it's always hard to to tell. Ah, oh, this is really new because we see that the the market is is. Yeah, it's going pretty far from what it was 10 years ago. And I think every brand inspire another brand and every human being inspire another human being. And, and we see movies, we see yeah, nature, we see pictures. And I, I think this is what is interesting. You can take 
what you think inspiring to yeah to transform the the vision you have for being a shaper yeah i'm always curious to hear from shapers how much other brands are on their radar meaning are they kind of operating almost like the closed out artist right where they don't want to pay attention to the other stuff that's going on they just want to focus on their own art project or is it the opposite and they are hungry to see what everybody else is doing to see what other companies are doing and to kind of soak it all in and take inspiration from what other brands are doing it sounds like maybe that's the case at flathold you do really pay attention to what other brands are are doing and what kind of shapes they're creating yeah i think we are in the market and we are interested about uh, what is new and then we watch us the competition money is also setting with other brands we saw the products myself too if i go to a gym i i see different product and different brands and uh, it's not like we are following everything uh, to see you but but yeah you know if you are in the market you you can't close your eyes and you can't uh, try to be blind and sometimes it's it's hard because you want to do your own stuff and uh, sometimes you realize oh shit it's close for another brand and you have to change you the direction where you're going to not be too close and uh, i can't talk about many other brands because i i, I know many other shapers, but not personally. And the only one we know is, is Laurent Laporte from Chita. And uh, he's a close friend and uh, we shaped together sometimes. And uh, and it, it's pretty funny because when he came to our workshop or when we exchange, he's also like, oh, sometimes he, he doesn't want to see the, the new stuff to avoid to be inspired. And, um, or to, yeah, to, we want to try to have this, uh, freedom, but, uh, I think personally that it's probably lying if you, if you try to, to stay in your own workshop and you, you just, uh, close your eyes and just do something because you are inspired by something else. And, and we can see on the market, everything that is done as any story so if you take like i don't know uh, the dual texture holes that we made it, it was already something like that uh, in the past we were not the first to do dual texture holes and uh, and yeah we can be honest to say yeah we were inspired we saw like the first dual texture holes somewhere else and uh, and uh, i think it's trying to take from the past to to do something new and this is what happened in in art or in graphic design or in in cinema and in many other artistic culture i think can you talk me through the process the conversation that you have with manu when okay let's say there is no no hold you don't have anything yet and you just one of you has an idea for a, a new hold and then what happens after that? How long does it take for you to have conversations until you actually maybe shape the first prototype in terms, and then how much tweaking is done with that prototype? Like how much, I guess, going from the very beginning of an idea 
to actually finally having a hold that is available for sale. What is that process like? I think for us, it's pretty natural and uh, we are not always shaping. So it's not like a hundred percent what we do in the workshop. Uh, Manu on his side uh, is, is also setting and, uh, and we also developed many other stuff. Um, so we're, we're not uh, making a meeting to discuss something. It's, it's more naturally like, Manu and I, we, we go on the form and sometimes you have an idea, you try something, it can be really fast, like, uh, okay, I want to do like a couple of new volumes or try new holes. And sometimes it can take many years, like uh, like we have old projects uh, that that are, yeah, maybe three, three years old and, and they still are not born. <laughs> um, so it, it's really... Yeah, it's it, it's not that we have a process that we follow like uh, in a company where you have meeting. It's more like spontaneously, and we like to keep this this freestyle way of, of working and this freedom to just uh, bring ID in in the process. Does it ever happen that there's a phone call in the middle of the night where you call Manu or he calls you and you say, "Oh, I," you know, you wake him up <laughs> from sleep and you say, "I just got this." This inspiration, I just got this idea. I have to tell you about it. If it is spontaneous, is it is it that quick? No, it's not in the middle of the night, but uh um Manu is is a really creative guy in in a way for thinking about new process for for climbing holes industry. And uh, he's mostly the guy who um yeah creates new new stuff. I, I shape, but uh most of the time, the new idea or the new development comes from money. And uh, sometimes it can go in in one night, on, on one day, he talks about something. And the day after, he try a, a small prototype and and uh, and it works in, in the first day. But then, <laughs> then it's another world to finalize the product and uh, and to sell it because there is a big gap between having a creative idea uh it can be like shaping a simple shape this this is maybe the fastest way but uh, in terms of new development of new idea to bring something different uh there there is a gap between when you have the idea and make the first prototype and when you sell the product or when it's finished and most of the time even for normal holes i remember like the i shaped the the, the damage control holes that are one of the dual texture range for from uh, from flat hold and uh, i remember uh, it took so much time to make this shiny surface to polish it shaping is pretty fast but then doing the dual texture took me a, a long time and after the molds were done and after i saw the first final product it was maybe two years and and you just have the feeling that they are already old school because you are already doing something else but uh but the holes that you shaped two years ago they they just arrived on the market and yeah it's just sometimes a strange feeling to 
yeah, to have the feeling, oh shit, it's not so cool. It's it's old. It's old school now. <laughs> but then uh, finally, when you climb on it, and uh, it's always a pleasure to to see the final product, and uh, and also to see that the people liked it or to see it in in the gyms. Yeah, speaking of this idea of new school holds versus old school holds, flat hold in particular is, it seems like, always in the conversation when you're talking about this new school style of climbing, competition style climbing, where it's very dynamic, very coordination heavy, a lot of parkour influence, all of that stuff. And there is, inevitably, there's sometimes a rift there with some people saying they love that style and other people, maybe people that are more anchored in like only the outdoor style of climbing. They say they don't, they don't really like that modern competition style. How do you feel about it as someone who is at flat hold and, and because of that, you're so tied closely to this new school style. What do you think about that rift in opinions between the new school and the old school? I am personally uh, an outside climber, so I I uh, learned climbing from from the rock and uh, and not from the gym. So I really see the the evolution of how evolves holds in the time and how evolves the route setting and and the competition. And we can also probably see in our old shapes, old range that it was more like this kind of old school shapes uh, where you had to put one finger on a little staff and it was more complex to hold and it evolves to something more clean in terms of shapes and um, yeah maybe this is a good uh, example or comparison to what is also the competition climbing it was maybe pretty complex and was more inspired about nature. The first competition, they they were even outside. And then the, the climbing was like this endurance climbing. And now it evolves more to a way that yeah, people call parkour. And, and personally, I, I also like to climb on old school stuff. And uh, I like to see this. But uh, I think the the way that the competition climbing is going is probably like the way the shape are going it's it's a, a process which is influenced in many ways the the holes the shaper uh, the setter the athletes and all together i think we drove we drive this uh, this transformation about climbing but i don't think that's we choose uh, for for the setting perspective or the shaping perspective or the athletes goes that way or the setter. It's a big mix that uh, that creates some transformation. And uh, I personally like how it works, how it goes. And it's true that I'm I'm also sometimes surprised or or I'm also like uh, I could. Imagine to see like more old school boulder in the, in the new school climbing circuit, but uh, I think it depends about the setter and and it will continue to evolve from competition to competition. When we're talking about this new school style, I think 
the epitome of that, in my opinion, is probably the those clear, no texture holds that Flathold produced for the recent World Championships, 2023 World Championships in Bern. They, I don't th- think they were the first holds ever to have no texture, but it was just kind of the whole package of them being clear, having no texture, being used at a competition of that magnitude, a competition that eventually through the course of the, the seating and the points and whatnot would lead to an Olympic qualification portion and all that. So let's talk about these no texture clear holds. How did these come about? Yeah, so um, I think it's a good question and answer also in a way your last question because this is exactly a process. And this process came from, um, we we have a friend uh, who is a setter in your team. Uh, His name is Pierre Boyer, French setter. Uh, and he's a good friend of Manu, and both together they set many international competition or national training. And um, yeah, Pierre is pretty focused on this new school of climbing, and he was like develop not developing. He was just following this uh, this vibe of uh, creating these uh, dynamic coordination moves, and uh, his. ID or, or the ID he wanted to explore and, and go ahead with was to this kind of campus move coordination. So where you start uh, without the foot and you have to to make a swing to and and to yeah to use the, the dynamic of, of your body and of this swing to continue to to do many moves at the same time. And um, he started probably two years ago to to take this idea, which was not his idea. It was already we saw, yeah, for many competition. Like I remember in Meiringen, uh, maybe five six years ago, when Laurent Manu made this five jump uh, in coordination, uh, and uh, Pierre just continued to explore this idea, and at the same time he. He did also slab and many other style, but it was his his main focus. And um, he tried to to put this move in in many competition. And uh, he told me like, yeah, it works one time. Uh, how do you say that one one time on two? Or, or sometimes it missed. Sometimes it works. And and when it didn't works, it was because the climber they usually stop in the middle of of this dynamic uh, coordination move they can hold the swing and 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 stop uh, instead of continuing and uh, it was always a big challenge for him and uh, manu and uh, pierre talked together and they just realized after many competition and many tries that they need to to have really positive holes to to be able to have the the power and the dynamic to to go far in the coordination move but without the texture because the texture always helped the athletes to to stop on on the holes in the middle or to to do 
another beta like a toe hook or heel hook or something like that. And um, and Pierre just called us. Uh, he called Manu and said, "Do you think there is a way to to take an existing uh, holes with with texture, a good one, and to do it uh, completely shiny?" And yeah, Manu just uh, answers that. Why not? Let's try and uh, and we have a workshop where we can experiment. Uh, we have different machine, different stuff, and uh, we have, for example, this kind of uh, vacuum machine. And we thought, yeah, why not to try to take an existing holes in this case, damage control and and lucha libre, and to vacuum it with a with a plastic. Uh, just to make it slick. So the idea of making it clear, transparent was was not the first goal. The goal was to create a tool that will be useful for Pierre to go ahead and maybe finish this idea or to push this idea at his limit. And I think it was uh, what happened, and it was the yeah the main idea that we explored together. How and when did the idea of making it clear, how did that come to you and, and did the the potential or the possibilities that could come of that, was that part of it? Like I know people were immediately saying, oh, you could have, these holds could light up or something at some point down the road. Like there's a lot that you can do with clear holds. Again, this was not uh, an intention to... We didn't thought about oh let's do transparent holes it will be cool. We first thought about we want to create a product that is useful for for this idea of Pierre and these coordination moves. So we just arrived to transparency and firstly we we try with a small plastic we had at the workshop which was black, uh, but it was too thin to. To use it, uh, to, it was not strong enough, so we had to keep it on on the existing holes and try to, yeah, to to test it to see how it feels. And and surprisingly, we were like, oh shit! You take really good holes. We put it on on the on the wall in thirty degree or thirty five because we knew that for the idea of Pierre, it was the angle we we need. And we realized like, if you put this hold completely horizontal you can make a pull-up but if you just twist it for a couple of degrees on on the left or on the right it becomes really hard just to hang on it and um, yeah it was how we realized uh, that the idea can potentially work and then Manu find a way to to do a final product that we can use and we find a, a we needed something stronger and thicker and we find recycled pet or, or, or pet plates that we use in this vacuum machine. You you have to make it warm and, and then to suck uh, the, the plastic on the hold. And um, yeah, it just became to be a transparent hold. Um, and this was also a problem because we we knew for many months we are that we were sponsoring in this event. And uh, in Bern, they had a code of colors. They wanted to keep the color of the holes the same than 
the identity they, they built. So we just buy some spray for, for all the raw color that they need because we thought they will put some color. And we just bring these holes for the setter to firstly create the ID. And uh, then we thought they will probably spray it in a color. They will not accept to, to keep it like that. And finally, their organization, they thought, oh, why not? It's 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 interesting. It's something new. It's something different. And uh, this is how it happened. Well, so you really had spray paint cans in your in your equipment ready to spray the holds a certain color if the IFSC didn't let you use the clear holds? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I... I Personally, buy the spray cans uh, with the good RAL number, and we tested it uh, in our workshop with black, uh, and we thought, oh, it will, it's nice as well because it's it's really shiny, and you spray it on the back, so you can change the color; it becomes a bit different, and uh, but nice. But finally, we thought, oh, the setter, they didn't want it to. Oh, they they proposed this uh, transparent color, and and the organizer they said, yeah, it's cool, it's it's a nice problem. Were you surprised that they accepted it? I mean, I guess are the organizers of the IFSC are they usually maybe less open to that idea of like a new something different? I was surprised because. I had contact for many months to organize the the choice of holes that we send as a sponsor, and I knew they were they are pretty picky with the colors, and uh, I think it's good uh, they wanted to make like a a clear identity. So I really thought, no way, they will probably not accept. But and this is why I I buy these uh, spray cans. Um, but finally, yeah, they they just. Thought it's it's an interesting problem. It's uh, it's yeah, it's for for the final and uh, it's for the show. And I think it also brings something uh, unique because we made these holes as unique pieces. We just made like uh, we made a choice of good holes. Uh, Manu and Pierre made this choice, and then we had like probably only eight holes that we tested in advance and we knew that it will work for for these moves but uh but we didn't have so much holes so we just came with this and um and they are unique and i think this is also why the organizer they they like this idea to have something really special something unique only for this event and also something that uh, is pretty fair for all the athletes because they never touch these holes and they never saw these holes. So it, it was a surprise for everybody, I think. Do you have any desire to produce them at some point beyond just those eight exclusive pieces? Or is this something that you'd like to just forever keep as a world championship exclusive? Uh, I think we discussed about it with a producer because it was surprisingly pretty uh, popular or i think uh, there there were a lot of reaction about this hole some like some doesn't like it but uh yeah uh, we we heard a lot of people who thought it's cool so i don't think it's i guess the gym they still need the the color the classic color to to make the the secrets they have but probably we will 
make like maybe just a limited edition of of these holes uh, or just a small batch because yeah people ask at us and why not to make just just a yeah limited edition about it i think of those holds as very uh, i guess to use the artistic word almost like postmodern because you think they're kind of the anti style of traditional holds because you think the old school style of a climbing hold it would be something with color and something with texture right and shape as well and these clear holds it's like let's take away the color and let's take away all the texture so you're sort of removing these two pillars of what people always kind of thought or conceptualized of what a, a an artificial climbing hold was and so i can't help but wonder how do you continue to push creatively i guess it, what is next once you take away all the you take away the color and you take away the texture that's so that is so innovative how do you continue pushing forward with more ideas in, in this uh, in i mean on this theme like transparent uh, shiny holes the idea is probably not to continue to do something more extreme to do inv invisible holes you know <laughs> It, it was kind of mistake and this mistake was just driven by yeah the root setting aspect and uh, and the movement that uh, Pierre and Manu wanted to create and um, yeah randomly it became to be a really special and nice product and also you know they they choose the holes for the functionality of it in in the movement and uh, they choose holes that, that are really good enough, have no thumb on it. And um, also randomly, uh, it was our dual texture holes, like the damage control and Lucha Libre. And both ha have different uh, texture. And what is was really interesting in these uh, transparent holes as well is that the, the transparent pet it took the texture of of the holes so where there is texture you can see inside the, the the plastic that there is a kind of texture but the texture is not where you feel it on on the other side where you touch it it's just inside and it creates a kind of strange mix between texture transparency um and and also between matte and and shiny, so it's more kind of experimentation. And I think this is also the way we walk. And sometimes you are inspired or you discover something new by doing it for for another purpose. Mm -hmm. You you want to to do something for for the setting aspect, and it opens other doors for creativity and. I don't know because you know it was just last month that we did it, so uh, just really just before the the competition, and uh, yeah, now we we will see we can explore, and this is what is good also in our workshop is that we we have some machine we try to explore in different way and and we try to keep our mind open and to see what comes next. 
Yeah, maybe that is the future. It sounds like it maybe to continue mixing the different elements of texture and color and s- surface and and shape and all of that. It's it's try to keep them less and less as separate entities and try to think how can we further integrate all of these different elements together in in new ways. Yeah, but I think there is still, as I said earlier, like uh, the gyms and the the market has still some weight, you know, and uh, on our side, we never try to think about new shapes or developing new ideas based on what potentially the customer needs. We always thought, oh, we need this or this would be interesting. And and sometimes it's the opposite, the, the gym they will never ask for transparent holes, but maybe now they see that, oh, why not? It could be something else. Or, um, yeah, on my side, I always like, I, I don't really like the, the coral that we have in in, uh, in our industry because it's, yeah, I understand the, the way it works and this is better to have clear, separate, bright colors. But if I would build a gym, I would personally try to, to do something else with other colors, other identity. There, there, there are so many nice colors, you know, on, on the RAL palette that, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a bit a shame to just stay with red, blue, yellow, and black. And and yeah, there, I, I maybe we will also try, or, or we have now a, a small set that we will also sell in a limited edition for, for the setter and just make special color. Uh, and we know that this will be cool for the setter because they can probably use it in different way. But still, even in the competition, uh, you know, like it was in Bern, most of the time, the organizer, uh, they ask for a range of color. They they want, like in Germany, in Munich, they want uh, the color of the flag. In, in USA, I think USA Climbing also has a palette of color. So we will try to put something else. And I know that also soil, I like soil. They they use some kind of new colors in, in the catalog uh, they have. And I think it's interesting to, to bring something new in terms of color and aesthetic. But I think the future of climbing is probably not based on color transparency. It's more about new ideas and... Uh, and uh, yeah, we saw, we, we, we see now a lot of competitor like, uh, and we do as well, like holes that you can combine and, and maybe the wall will be also more versatile that you can move in the future. There is all this wood volume that you can stack uh, on each other. So I think in terms of movement and uh and setting experiences and climbing experiences there is much more to do with the uh, new id than just new colors and, and transparent holes i love it matthew i i really appreciate you taking some time to talk about this because now my mind is set on the future the future of how holds could could look, how they could evolve, and how it's just this is a really exciting thing to think about, especially now with shaping and 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 holds getting arguably a bigger spotlight than ever with the these big competitions, with of course 
Paris Olympics coming up. Uh, before we get out of here, can you tell people if they want to know more about your work or Manu's work or Flathold, where is the best place for people to go to to stay in touch and to follow all that Flathold is doing? Yeah, I think the the best way is to follow us on on social media, even if we are not so. Um, how do you say that? So prolific, or we we are not really focused on making everyday news. We try to keep it clean, and and when we have something to say, we we publish it on on Instagram mostly, and otherwise we make some video about setting on on our YouTube channel and. Uh, I guess this is the way to to see where other new stuff or other website. Great, Matthew. Thank you so much. We'll get you back on the next time Flathold surprises everybody and comes out with another cool uh, design, another cool shape. We'll get you on again to chat. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you too to invite us. Thanks for checking out today's episode and thanks to Matthew and Flathold for sharing some insights about the creative inner workings there. Be sure to give Flathold a follow on social media. And if you want to go back and watch the World Championships portion on YouTube that featured those clear no-text holds, it was the men's Boulder final round from 2023. Aside from all that, hit the like or subscribe button for this podcast if you want more episodes like this. And follow CBJ on social media. Once again, I'm John Bergman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.